Proverbs chapter 14. I'm going to read the first 15 verses and preach from there. As it relates to walking by wisdom and not by sight, we are called to understand that revelation is a system, a system that is built upon God's revealed word, and we are called to live within that system. That system is often called a, a worldview. What is the worldview of biblical wisdom and how we are to walk in it and not by sight, which is always the reflex to walk by sight? Proverbs 14, beginning in verse 1, I'll read to verse 15. The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish woman pulls it down with her hands. He who walks in his uprightness fears the Lord, but he who is perverse in his ways despises him. In the mouth of a fool is a rod of pride, but the lips of the wise will preserve them. Where no oxen are, the trough is clean, but much increase comes by the strength of an ox. A faithful witness does not lie, but a false witness will utter lies. A scoffer seeks wisdom and does not find it, but knowledge is easy to him who understands. Go from the presence of a foolish man, when you do not perceive in him the lips of knowledge. The wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way, but the folly of fools is deceit. Fools mock at sin. But among the upright there is favor. The heart knows its own bitterness, and a stranger does not share its joy. The house of the wicked will be overthrown, but the tent of the upright will flourish. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Even in laughter, the heart may sorrow, and the end of mirth may be grief. The backslider in heart will be filled with his own ways, but a good man will be satisfied above all. I'm sorry, from above. The simple believes every word, but the prudent considers well his steps. As far as the reading of God's holy word, let me pray for the blessing of the preaching of it. Let's pray. Lord, we ask even now for that which cannot be mined like gold, or sought after like precious jewels. That which cannot come from men or the mouths of men, but it must come from you. It is everywhere. It is simple. It is beautiful. But it requires that we humble ourselves before you tonight, that we might receive from you wisdom. It is hard fought, to be sure. For it seems, even in the life of the believer, that there are impulses. There are desires in every one of our hearts to satisfy the flesh, to do that which is easy, to go the way that seems right. But you have called us not to see the eyes that are merely in our heads, but by faith. And so may we then walk by wisdom, by faith, and not by sight, as we endeavor to honor you with our lives. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Uh, you know, my son has just finished Army Basic and is headed and has begun advanced infantry training. Something that he was very much looking forward to. He even got a new pair of boots to commemorate the occasion. 
He'll spend a lot of time with a 60-pound ruck on his back, uh, shooting a gun, and learning how to land nav, which is something I think would be actually quite useful, especially when your phone dies and Siri doesn't tell you to go left or right at what particular intersection. Uh, and so what he does is, armed with a compass and a couple other tools, can navigate any terrain. I remember as a young college student, I would travel to North Georgia with my friends from Atlanta, and we would hike an area called the Jacks River Preserve. And we would go to the river, and every time we would go, we would have to rediscover the way to actually get to the place where we wanted to go. It was this particular rock outcropping where you could swim across the river, go up this sort of mountain face, well, mountain face is a bit an exaggeration, hill, and then you could walk out on this outcrop and jump into the river. It was probably a 22-foot drop. It seemed like 45 feet when you were standing at the top. And every single time we went, it was always, I think that's the turnoff. And four out of four times, we were wrong. <laughs> and we had to backtrack and figure out how to get there. That's because none of us knew how to do land nav. In the same way, the word of God is that tool that God has given us to find our way in the world, not walking the way that seems right. Hmm. I think that's the way. But to look at the very thing that God has given us and to direct our steps by it. This is the compass. This is the tool. This is the north star that our lives are to be guided by. And yet, oftentimes we close our Bibles, we listen to influencers, and we say, man, that looks pretty good. And we've been influenced for centuries, for millennia. We've been influenced from the beginning of time. Satan, I guess, was the first influencer towards that which seemed right in their own eyes. And when Adam and Eve, Eve, particularly looking at the fruit, she, what? Saw it. And she delighted in it, and she ate it. Long before she put it in her mouth, she desired it with her heart. And before she desired it in her heart, she saw it and thought, this is the way to go. This is the way I should go. This is the way that Solomon is warning his sons and others, ourselves included, not to go. And so there are two paths, or really, there are two ways to walk. There is the way by wisdom that is revealed to us by God in his word. And yes, even in nature. And then there is the way that appears right to us. And so this section, section 1 through 15, really hangs on verse 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Two points that I want to make. The walk of wisdom, or the way of wisdom... And then secondly, walking not by sight. The walk of wisdom. And then secondly, walking not by sight. We see the first heading in verses 1 through 7. And the second, walking not by sight in verses 8 through 14. Let's look at the walk of wisdom. The first thing that Solomon reminds us of, we've read it already before, is how a foolish woman eats away the structure and the stability and the beauty of her home from within. A foolish woman. A wise woman builds her house, 
but the foolish pulls it down with their hands. Now, we need to remember the connection between what we do with our mouths, how those things are connected, how our mouth is connected to our ears, and how those things are attached to our hands. What our expectations are. And the decision that a woman makes to tear down her house may seem crazy, but there is a justification for it. And it happens all the time. How then is a house torn down? Well, regarding the woman, she tears it down by being unteachable, by engaging in needless gossip and poor speech, and having a quick temper and in laziness and lacking self-control. Now, lest you think I'm a misogynist, that's probably true of anybody that lives in a house. Anybody can do house destruction. In fact, there's a little saying in our home. When our children get up, and not just our children, but sometimes even me, somebody woke up and chose violence. You know what I mean? They just wake up on the wrong side of the bed. Everything sets them off. And just prior to their coming downstairs, the coffee was being made, the smells of the stove, all was well until that person walks into the kitchen and they chose violence. And what happens? It doesn't matter if it's just one. And it can be one incident. What does it do? It stirs up the house. And it's hard to recover from that. Now, with regards to a woman who builds up, she does so by cultivating the material and spiritual well-being of her household. And seeks to nurture godliness, grace, and virtue. And so a woman can be a force for creativity and strength, or she can be a destruction and a hindering of others that she is among. But she is not alone in this. This is not distinctly a female problem. In fact, Proverbs emphasizes more to the point, if we're into pronouns, the masculine pronoun. Look at verse 2. He who walks in his uprightness fears the Lord, but he who is perverse in his ways despises him. How we build and how we walk are connected. These things are part of a whole life. We build or tear down. We walk in the way that we want our lives to go. And so a man who is wise walks in uprightness. But the one who is perverse despises the instruction, the discipline, the way of the Lord. So when you find an unbeliever who is doing what is wrong, the reason he is doing what is wrong is because he hates what is good. There are no neutral persons. And you may say, how can you hate wisdom so much? And I say to you, are you, O oh man, completely and utterly righteous? Have you never sinned? Every sin that we've ever committed is a commitment to do that which is perverse and is a way that is not walking in wisdom. And what does it do? It again also brings destruction. And so a good way, that is the way of wisdom, is born, look at verse 2, out of a fear of the Lord. Now, what is the fear of the Lord? It's the beginning of knowledge. Well, what in the world does that mean? Well, a good way that is born of the fear of the God is a way that seeks the instruction of the Lord. That's the starting point. Samuel, Lord, speak, for your servant is listening. That is how you should wake up every morning. Speak. How does God speak? He doesn't speak to you through the ceiling, right? Or if you do that, 
That would be an interesting wake word, right, for a smart speaker. If that ever happens, throw the speaker away. <laughs> it doesn't come to you through your Alexa. Speak, Alexa. But that's what they want, right? In fact, how does Alexa wish to enslave you? Use the alphabet. You know, do this. Become a corporate entity. You know, this kind of superficial flat life. Obey your overlords. Who are your overlords? It's Jeff Bezos, right? That's what they want. And they want ears in all the rooms. And they want to tell you how to live and how to act. And yet a good way is to seek the instruction of the Lord. The goal is the glory of God. So you know where it begins and then you know where it ends up. You start with the scriptures and you end in glory. And between those two markers, the, fin the starting line and the, the pistol going off and the finish line... You endeavor to lead a, life, lead, a life, lead a life of godliness. Now, the perverse way is born of a rejection of revelation. Not in delighting in the Lord, but in the flesh. And the reason why men reject the instruction of the Lord is, number one, they cannot help it because they're lost in their sins. But their actions show that the motivation for their rejection is because they want to do something that God's law says you should not do. I'm going to do it, so I'm going to make a law to justify it. Two, make it okay. And the goal, the end game, is to do what? To be satisfied all the time in the flesh. More, more, more. More, more, more. Give me more. And so wisdom builds, but folly tears down. These are the two ends. There's no way around it. And not only that, but the reality is, verse 3 and verse 6, in the mouth of a fool is a rod of pride. But the lips of the wise will preserve them. Now, what is a rod of pride? Well, it is the same word that is used in Isaiah 11.1, 1, the rod or stem of Jesse. It's a root. The root of a fool's mouth is pride. Everything he says is to impress another. He's constantly boasting in himself, why is this? What is the reason for this? Because if you remove God from the throne of your life, what you must be, you're always running for that office, right? You're constantly seeking to put yourself on the throne. But what good is a throne of a kingdom of which you are the only one? So what must you do? Come to me, all of you, and acknowledge my glory. You must seek, by necessity and survival, the approval of others. And so the root of what a fool says is a pride of himself. But the lips of the wise will preserve what is implied in verse 3a is that the fool will not in fact be preserved. His kingdom will fall. There will be no throne. But the way in which the lips of the wise are preserved is by their speech. And so what does that say about our speech? The righteous are, if we endeavor to be righteous. We must speak the truth. We must speak humbly. We must guard the secrets of others. We must be diligent, diligent in honoring God's revelation in terms of what we say. Look at verse 6. A scoffer seeks wisdom and does not find it, but knowledge is easy to him who understands. Really, the principle is this. You reap what you sow. Why does a scoffer seek wisdom? Parents, have you been asked advice by your children 
and then it was summarily ignored? Has that ever happened to you? Or even worse, you see your kids doing something, you provide them parental counsel, and they say, yeah, I'm good, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. That's a scoffer. There is nothing worse than unsolicited advice. There's no worse relationship than that. Believe me, I've served on presbytery committees, and we've gone to people and said, maybe you should do this, and they say, yeah, I don't think so. I'm going to do this. And you can just count the days until it falls apart. It happens. That's a scoffer. A scoffer isn't sincerely asking for wisdom. A scoffer is seeking for input, hoping that you will actually endorse his foolishness. But knowledge, it's easy to those who understand. That is, someone with an appetite for instruction. It is easy to teach the righteous because they are hungry to be instructed. And then lastly, within this first section, we also see the damage that lies bring. In verse 5, a faithful witness does not lie, but a false witness will utter lies. <laughs> okay, he's saying the same thing twice, right? If you are called into court and you swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God, that is, you're, you're swearing before God and men, a faithful witness does not bear false witness. But a false witness does what? Does nothing but lie. What is the end of that? Well, first of all, we are called not to live by lies. And there have been many lies that have been fed to us. Will we live upon those things? Will we build upon those things? And there are lies that we receive from our neighbors, either as individuals or as a collective. You can spend your way out of an economic crisis is a lie. It's a big lie. You can get out of trouble by lying to your parents and preserve your good reputation as though your parental reputation was your primary concern. And then look at verse 7. From the presence of a foolish man, when you do not perceive in him the lips of knowledge, go from him. Essentially what Solomon is saying is don't, don't, Spend time or expect intimacy with those who are gossips and who lie. It's impossible. In fact, the instruction is to do what? Go away from them. And the guys, this happens everywhere. It happens in the church. It happens in the commonwealth. It happens in schools. It happens in our homes. There are times where there are lies being told and we have to say, I'm done. I'm not going to be party to this. I'm leaving. Why is that? It's the same way you get out of the pool when it's lightning outside. Because the lightning doesn't know the difference between a human body and a body of water. And if you're in the pool, when the lightning hits the pool, well, you're going to get cooked. If lies bring destruction... And you are near to the one who is a liar. Guess what may actually happen to you and your reputation? And so, for the sake even of self-preservation, and to walk in the way of wisdom, do not surround yourselves by those who have no knowledge and do not speak knowledge. Think every liberal arts college in America, English, history, okay, all the departments, all of them. What are they doing? 
They are systematically instructing young people to live by lies. And what ends up happening to those young people after they've sort of drunk the sophisticated, right, aged red wine of college education is there's a hangover that they can't deal with for the rest of their lives. And not only are they left with debt, which is a problem, but they are left with an inability to handle life's problems because they were not told how things truly are. And they spend the next 10 years searching for meaning from the same kinds of voices that led them astray to begin with. These are real problems. Second point, walking not by sight. All right, so I'm kind of saying the same thing twice as Solomon is, and not just twice, dozens and dozens of times. Walk by wisdom, walk not by sight. Now, the theme of this subunit in verses 8 through 18 is simply this. Do not be offended. Do not be taken in, young fools, by appearances. Now, why is it the young? Why is it that the young are most often those who are taken in by appearance? Because they have not yet learned or grown and matured in the ways of wisdom. And by appearances, I mean what appears to be right. And there are many ways that we are fooled, and we are fooled with our eyes, we are fooled with our ears, we are fooled by our senses. Satan is a master deceiver. And not only will he lie about you, to you, about who you are in relationship to the one who made you, he will also come to you and he will say, this is the better way. And will that way be ugly? How can it be tempting if it is ugly? How can it be tempting if it is wretched? In fact, one of the reasons why it is so difficult to walk in the way of righteousness is because the temptations of the world, the flesh, and the devil are weighty. And they mean something to us. Oftentimes what they are is a shortcut to the blessings that God promises and we can have them now and not wait for God to give them to us. This is why we must walk by faith or wisdom and not by sight. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 5, we get in an epistle... What Solomon is talking about in the book of Proverbs. This is what Paul says. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God. Think Anne Bradstreet, right? On the occasion that her house burned down. If we have an earthly house, this tent is destroyed. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. For in this, in the heart of the believer, we groan. I'm adding a little bit. Some flourishes. If you want to open your Bible, you'll see it. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from above. Do you see and feel that when you have knee pain or you lose a loved one or you roll out of bed and go, when did I get old? Why, is my, why am I injured by sleeping? And you go, clothe me in a glorified body. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. That is, those who are in Christ are being now prepared and are ready for that day. For we who are in this tent, this life, grown, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God 
who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So Paul is here presenting in the first five verses of 2 Corinthians 5 a reality that pervades and dictates and surrounds and governs this reality. For us to think for a moment that what is seen is more substantial than what is unseen is to discount the weightiness of what is unseen and the reality of it. And what is the reality? What is the truth for the believer? That we can have a good time in this life. Solomon says that in Ecclesiastes. We can eat and we can drink and we can mow our grass and we can have parties and we can live it up. But we have to understand that all of that is done with an eye to eternity and to the glory of the one who lives above the sun. So that when we lose our homes, we've not lost our home. We've lost our home, but we've not lost our home. When our flesh fails, we know that one day we will have even greater bodies. We will be promoted. We will be glorified. So this is what Paul says. Even though this reality is, it is real because God has said it, it is not real to these hands, right? Every Sunday I come up here and there's, these, there's even more dings. I don't know where these came from. I bet the pastor who was here before me had a big ring and he was constantly pounding the pulpit. That's what it looks like. Maybe I should get a <laughs> pound the pulpit. It doesn't mean that this isn't real. It just means that this is not all there is. So this is what Paul says. So we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, wisdom, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. There is a reality that needs to loom large in our minds and in our hearts that God has given us a system, a worldview that is built upon a revelation that is greater than someone going, I think that's the way to the waterfall. I think that's it. Let's go that way. And then, no, 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 let's go this way. And as I said this morning, it's this constant digging empty cisterns that cannot hold water. And we live among a people who are overwhelmed by the chaos and the disappointment of invented religions, of invented ways, of novel models. And so look at verse 8. The wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way, but the folly of fools is deceit. Do you understand the way? This is the first part of all apologetics. You have to know what the Christian worldview is. You need to understand what the biblical system of revelation is. You need to understand it. Don't just sit on the bike behind your parents and just say, man, this is easy pedaling. Because at some point you have to go out from behind the draft and you're going to have to pedal on your own. And if you don't know the way to get to the goal, you're going to go off Unto another path. And all parents are called to do... Well, there's a lot of things that parents are called to do. But as it relates to instruction, we are preparing our children to walk that way without our help. Without the constant guidance that an immature child needs. But what is a fool? He's deceived. He'll go anyway. In fact, the way you know this is that fools actually laugh at sin. Oh, that. That's a wicked heart. 
they take lightly. They take lightly the knowledge that when they go that path, they are in fact doing what is out of alignment with God's will. But the upright, the upright understand it and there is favor. Verse 10, the heart knows its own bitterness and a stranger does not share a story. This is an interesting passage. Hear this little sentence. <clears throat> Inasmuch as God knows the way, he knows those who are walking. Charlotte Mason had a series, he was, she was a very famous English educator, wrote a number of books on, on education. I would I commend her to you. If you've ever been assigned or volunteered to teach Sunday school in church, okay, this is a lot. It's a lot of reading. But the principles, Charlotte Mason's principles for education, the first one is essentially this. Children are persons. We actually despise that idea now, which is why we kill so many unborn children. Children are persons with infinitely complex souls. And so we need to teach them not as people in training, but as people who are, have all kinds of things going on. Grandparents learn this to some degree when their kids bring home grandkids and they go, what why are you so weird? Like, you don't look like my kids. And they don't have a category for the particular grandkid that's kind of the outsider. And so they don't know how to relate to that kid. Or they assume certain things about their behavior. And instead of, verse 10, knowing that that person knows things about himself or herself that only God knows, you need to give them, you need to understand there may be stuff going on. Maybe you walk up to somebody at the grocery store. And they're weeping. And you go, what's wrong with that person? As though there might be something wrong with them. Maybe they just found out a friend died. Or maybe there's a kid who comes up to you in church and he just can't sit still. And maybe there's something going on with him. We do this all the time. We walk by these things. And we don't walk by this. And it isn't just walking by sight and scripture. There is another component. There are some things that God has not revealed, that are only God's. That, that is God's possessive, his. And so, just as a stranger does not understand why someone may be bitter, in the same way a stranger does not know why a person may have joy. So what has God actually called us to do as members of a church together? Figure out why people are so weird or broken or happy. What's going on? You know how you figure it out? Um, why don't you come over to our house and have lunch? Or invite yourself over to someone's house. Why don't we go have lunch together? Let's talk. Because we are not sovereign. We don't see as God sees. We cannot trust our eyes. And what ends up happening to those who walk only by sight, verse 11, is their lives will be overthrown. And then verse 12, here's the hinge upon which the door swings. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in its, the, its end is the way of death. Parents, I know you feel this burden. Every time your child makes a decision that you say, you think in your head, this is so foolish. Don't go that way. And you have begged and you have pleaded, please do not go that way. If that has happened to you as a parent, what you find 
And the reason why your pleadings are so earnest and your kids are looking at you like, what's the big deal, is you know what's at the end of that path. Pastors do this. Anyone that has any authority that seeks to wield it with righteousness, don't be violent. Don't lie. Don't steal. What are the Ten Commandments? They are God's warnings. It is God saying, this is how you enjoy life. And if you violate these ten things and the things that are connected to them, you will not enjoy life. In fact, you will be embracing death. And so, what we find is that there is a way that is a way of wisdom and a way that is a way of folly that is that way that seems right to men. Verse 13, we're almost done. Even in laughter the heart may sorrow, and the end of mirth may be grief. Now, what in the world? I think we understand this as soon as we read it. When you look at the end of a life of a Christian and the way they think of their lives, and when we go to the, to the funerals of those who are beloved who die in Christ, we see them lowered into the ground, and we do not see that as an end. Paul says they but sleep until they rise again, until they awaken on the last day. The unbeliever sees that as an end. In fact, the reason why they are so earnest to get as much out of life as possible, right? Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we may die. We say eat, drink, and be merry, but why? Because we will live forever. And we eat, drink in a way that is very distinct from the secular humanist. That granddad, in the same way that he went down, not even in the same way, all the more gloriously go up. And whatever's left of those who've gone before us, dust and ash, God will, in his sovereign wisdom, reconstitute those bodies, glorify them, bring them into his presence, and we will meet them in the air, whoever we is left on earth at the time. Because after this life is another life. And that is why even though there is sorrow, there is laughter. And even in laughter, there is sorrow. Because our way continues on. Verse 14, the backslider. The backslider in his heart will be filled with his own ways, but a good man will be satisfied above all. Ultimately, someone backslides. A backslider is someone who was once in the faith, someone who professed Christ and rejected the faith. And the reason is simple. He followed his own ways. It's not that the truth was too hard or God asked too much. He just did not like the truth and did not want to do things God's way. But a good man, he doesn't care about his own ways. He wants to know what God thinks, what God says. He wants God's approval. He will be satisfied, Solomon says, with what God has given him. For that, that may take a lifetime to get to the point where you can say, I am completely and utterly satisfied with what God has given. And then verse 15. To sum these things up, it's this. The simple believe every word, but the prudent considers well his steps. The simple man will go with whomever. Whoever can entice, whoever can promise 
But the prudent man looks and says, looks at the word, looks at the thing. How does this line up with this? That's prudence. That is the diligent searching of and application of the word of God. Now, you may say, man, Proverbs is so long. And let me tell you, it is long. And it's highly repetitive. But you and I are very dense. Me more than some, maybe not as much as some of you. We are slow to learn. And God is patient, so patient. How many times have I told you this, Joby? How many times will it take you to get through your thick skull this principle? I think I need to be told again. How many Sundays have you come confessing your sins as a body and it's the same sin? God is extraordinarily patient, but he knows you, verse 10. And he continues to manifest and reveal to us the way that we should go. Dear saints, may we not be tossed to and fro by every way, by every false doctrine, by that which promises pleasure, power, or wealth. But may our eyes, our minds, our hearts be ever fixed upon the word of God, what he has revealed to us. Guided and guarded, not only by that, the one, the word that he gave, but the one who gave it, that is Christ. May we be those who seek to glory the one who redeems us. Let's pray. Lord, even now we ask.